Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode will be following the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Landers, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is created by Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume who blend, barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year, released at the equinoxes and solstices. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. Summer starts to relax in July. The eager young lime-coloured leaves that filled the countryside last month have mellowed to a rich green, and the wheat and barley have started to turn golden, rippled silver by lazy breezes. Butterflies flit, and mowers whir, and we start to believe it will always be this way. There are plenty of thunderstorms in July to mess with our idea of what summer should be, but often they will follow spells of warmth, fat droplets on dusty pavements and bring with them the vibrant fragrance of wet earth after dry heat, an ozone-scented sigh of relief. July was named to honour Julius Caesar, it being his birth month, and before him it was known as Quintilis, Latin for fifth, as this was the fifth month in the Roman calendar. More expressively, the Anglo-Saxons called it Weedmonath, the month of weeds, or Haymonath, as this is haymaking time. The Oak Tree in July My oak tree loves July. You can almost feel it revelling in the sun, its leaves shimmering and dancing joyfully in the summer breeze, its bark warm to the touch, its roots stretching out into the baking earth. These hot days are when our oak is most active and requires the most energy both from nutrients in the soil and from the single most important source of energy on earth, the sun. The oak's leaves are filled with bright green chlorophyll, a pigment that allows plants, algae and some bacteria to convert sunlight into energy. This process is called photosynthesis and it is essential to life on earth. Photosynthesis requires, as well as sunlight and water, the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide, and having used the carbon molecule to form sugars, the plant then emits O2, oxygen, as a waste product. So as well as storing carbon, our oak tree also emits the oxygen the majority of life needs to survive. Recent research suggests that the older an organism and its surrounding ecosystem are, the better they are at storing carbon. And of course, cutting down an old tree and burning it releases all that stored carbon into the atmosphere. These are pressing reasons, among many others, to conserve our ancient oaks and woodlands and to make space for new ones to grow. Bird of the Month, the tit. The name tit for this group of small songbirds comes from titmouse, which in turn is from the Middle English word titmose, in which tit refers to any small creature and mose means bird. 
It seems likely that Mose turned into mouse because of these birds' quick, darting, mouse-like movements. Hugely active, lively and acrobatic, they are always on the move. Tits were originally woodland birds, but some species have adapted well to life in our gardens and can often be seen on bird tables and hanging off of fat balls. Blue tits are the most common tits in our gardens, easily identified by their blue wings and caps, which can be raised into a little crest, their green backs and yellow breasts. They make a lot of noise, a high-pitched whistling tsi-tsi, and then a descending trill plus an angry, churring alarm call. They produce just one brood per year. Great tits are larger and bolder, often bordering on violence at the bird table. A great tit has a yellow breast with a black band down it, and the cap also runs up and covers its head, apart from its white cheeks. Most often its call is a confident descending pair of notes repeated, often described as teacher, teacher, but it will make ascending runs of two or three notes too. Coal tits are more often found in woodlands. The coal tit is the smallest of the tits, with a dumpy body and a short tail. It has strident black and white head markings, a grey back and wings, and a buff-coloured underside. It also makes the teacher-teacher call, but higher and faster than the great tit. Inside the beehive in July The colony is now at full strength, with thousands of bees setting out all day every day to reap the bountiful summer flowers. Wild blackberry, clover, rosebay willow herb, poppy, thistle, red campion, meadow cranesbill and gardens full of flowers are all providing nectar for the summer's honey. At the end of June and the beginning of July, lime trees start to flower, providing a major source of nectar, particularly for city bees. This pollen makes a dark amber, complex, slightly minty honey. Some farmers grow borage on a large scale for its seed, and honey here will be very pale and clear. Whatever its look and flavour, the race is on to fill the hive with honey to see it through winter. Each individual bee will produce approximately one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime, which lasts for about six weeks, and an average colony will need 25 kilograms of surplus honey to survive to the following spring. A number of villages around the UK will see the crowning of their Rose Queen this month. Rose Queen coronations arose mainly in areas where there was a stronger tradition of Wakes Week than of May Day celebrations. Wakes Week was the name adopted by factory owners for the weeks and later fortnights when they would shut their factories down and give the whole workforce their holiday at once as a more economical alternative to staggered holidays. Local festivals and fates in the newly industrialised towns of the Midlands and the north of England, especially the northwest, often took on the name Wakes. The organisers of these Wakes may simply have fancied a May Queen-like tradition, but the Wakes fell in the summer rather than the spring, and so Rose Queens were created. They are essentially May Queens, teenage girls or young women dressed in white and garlanded with flowers but with roses rather than lily-of-the-valley and bluebells in their hair. 
Several of these traditions appear to have been started or revived by the would-be Rose Queens themselves. For example, the first Rose Queen coronation in the village of Ree Green in Lancashire occurred in July 1924, when a group of seven local girls who had watched a Rose Queen procession in a nearby village decided that they should have one of their own. They chose a queen and attendants and made a rose crown, then set off around the village green, but only got part way round before losing their nerve and retreating to a local garden for the coronation. Since then there have been over 70 rose queens in the village and the coronation has become a central part of Ray Green's field day festivities. Although rose queen festivals are much less common now than they were a century ago, they can still be found at villages around the country. Sutton in St Helens, Merseyside and Langhoe in Lancashire recently celebrated the 25th and 50th anniversaries respectively of their Rose Queen festivals. July's flower garden picking prompts. Sweet peas in vases and glasses all over your house. Pick them and they will make more. A single stem of a lily in an elegant, narrow-necked vase on a desk. A cloud of sweet rocket and poppies. Jobs in the flower garden. Noreens are bulbs that produce their vibrant, almost two pink flowers in autumn, a season not known for its pinks. This is the time to plant them in your sunniest spot. The bulbs really need to bake each summer, and if they get this, they will bulk up over time to become quite spectacular. You will prolong and increase the flowering of everything if you spend some time on two little jobs this month, deadheading and feeding. Deadheading means snipping off the flowers that have gone over to fool your plants into producing more, though hanging baskets will benefit from a proper trim all over now too. And to feed... Buy an organic feed high in potash, such as tomato feed, and add a little to the watering can at least once a week. Annual cut flowers, such as calendula, cornflower, love and a mist and poppy, are starting to run to seed. On a dry day, collect up the seed, label it and store it away for sowing in autumn or next spring. Place seeds in labelled paper bags and pop the bags into an airtight container with a couple of handfuls of rice in the base to absorb any moisture. Names for July's full moon Wurt moon, Mead moon July is lush and green. The trees have lost their youthful lime green tinges and settled into their mid-green high summer coats. The first flush of flowers has passed but the fruits have not yet ripened Greenery is the ascendant beneath July's full moon. Wurt is an old English word for herbs, and the medieval name Wurt Moon for July's full moon, which falls on the 13th, reflects the fact that while little has ripened yet, greenery and herbs are plentiful. This is also the time beekeepers take their first honey of the year, and so the making of mead, a fermented honey drink, could begin an important pastime in medieval Britain. Perhaps this sweet intoxicating drink would be made by the helpful light of the full moon if chores had stacked up, hence the name Mead Moon.
Aphelion is the moment in the year when the Earth is furthest from the Sun in its elliptical orbit. At 8.10am on the 4th of July, the Sun will be 152,098,455 kilometres away, its furthest point this year. Since Withan's day, if thou dost reign, for forty days it will remain. Since Withan's day, if thou be fair, for forty days twill reign nae mair. Everybody knows that the saying about St. Swithin's Day, which falls on the 15th of July, never comes true. If it rains on the 15th, we are very unlikely to then be subject to forty days of rain. And likewise, if it is sunny, we are not guaranteed a scorcher of a summer. However, there is a grain of truth that may have inspired the legend, in that summer weather patterns established by mid-July often persist well into August. The day itself won't tell you much, but the general trend might. Clearly July can be beautiful, warm and sunny, and many of Britain's highest temperatures have occurred in July. But the probability of rain does increase as the month goes on. July is one of the stormiest months, with thunderstorms sparked by high temperatures. Hail in summer always feels like a symptom of our crazy, out-of-sync weather. But in fact, hail is naturally a summer phenomenon. The most intense hailstorms occur between May and September, with a defined peak in July. Hail forms in giant thunderclouds, cumulonimbus, which grow to great towering heights in the summer as they are fed by the hot ground, creating thermals that lift water vapour high into the air. The tops of these massive clouds are freezing cold, and here drops of water turn to ice crystals. As they start to fall through the cloud, they make contact with other water droplets, which cling to the surface, and the strong updrafts within a cumulonimbus cloud then whisk them back up to the top and freeze them again. This circulation can happen numerous times, until the hail pellets grow too heavy and fall to earth. During the course of July, day length decreases by 1 hour and 30 minutes to 16 hours and 24 minutes in Inverness and by 1 hour and 3 minutes to 15 hours and 20 minutes in Padstow. This month, the average sea temperature in Orkney is 12.9 degrees Celsius and in Penzance is 16.4 degrees Celsius. Ritual for July One advantage of the nights beginning to lengthen again is that there is just that little bit more time for stargazing while the weather is at its warmest. This month's ritual requires only a clear night and a comfy spot to sit or lie down and it is a lovely one to try with a friend or young one. Even in the city it's possible to find space to stargaze. Try heading up a hill or into a park where there is less light pollution. Wherever you are, being out at night is a way of seeing things differently, of looking at a landscape with new eyes. Walk out, then, under the stars. You might go just a little way into your garden, and if it's safe to do so, I recommend turning off as many lights in your house as you can. Or you might go further afield if you are a more confident nighttime wanderer. Find a spot to rest and look around you. If the place you've chosen is a familiar one, consider how different it looks at night. 
If it is new, pick out some details. Learn your space as you let your eyes adjust to the dim. Now settle yourself down. Perhaps you're sitting on a bench or lying on a blanket. And look up at the stars. Pinpoints of silver against blue, black and purple. Let your eyes range across the sky for as long as you like. You will see more stars with each glance. When you're ready, do what humans have always done at night. Draw some connections, make pictures, tell stories. If you know some constellations already, try to make some new ones. As you look up, see which constellation calls to you or inspires you most and ask your companion to do the same. This will be your constellation and every time you go out in the night sky, greet it with a warm welcome. It will always be looking down on you, watching you safely like an old friend. In the Fern Studio This month, in Fern's Somerset Studio, the team has been enjoying the excitement of Summer 22's release, which arrived with Ledger members on the summer solstice. This year's summer fragrance seeks to reinvent the floral in a perfume, setting the traditional accord of rose and geranium against a more contemporary backdrop. Kumquat, hay, olibanum and nutmeg combine to create a dusty evening after a hot day, with the succulence of the flowers bringing something fresh to the scene. The fragrance is accompanied by fashion designer Giles Deacon's illustrations. He has created a playful modern take on the heraldic blazon for fern, incorporating a kumquat to celebrate the summer 22 fragrance. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month. You can read more about the year ahead in my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2022, also available as an audiobook. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co.